Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're tuning in to Season 2, Episode 17. This is a really exciting episode because it was recorded live just a couple of weeks ago at the SEEK conference. Okay, there were 18,000 college students gathered from every corner of planet Earth, and Love Good partnered with something called the Beauty Initiative. And we had an incredible five days of massive talent competition, for example, where I sat on a judging panel with Matt Marr, and Jessamine Anderson and my good buddy Sean Williams over at Paper Castle Records. I also got to give this really, really cool talk to everybody who was interested in the Beauty Initiative. On top of that, just got to be around all these amazing, amazing on-fire young adults. And anyways, this is a really fun episode. I sat down with Jessamine Anderson and we just chat about life and especially this incredible conference and really the generation that is coming up. You might call them young millennials or the beginning of Gen Z, but this incredible, incredible generation of young people who are really tired of the way things are in in today's world and are not exactly staging a revolution, but in fact, they are seeking like all of us here at Love Good to build a better culture and to really do that from the inside out. So this is a super fun conversation. Sit tight and enjoy the show. Different artists, um, singer songwriters, composers, 
guitarists, lots of ukuleles, getting up there and, and sharing their musical talents. And we got to narrow down those 40 performers to eight tonight. And then uh, Matt Marr joined us on the judging panel tonight for the finals. And then we picked four winners that are going to get to head to Nashville, Tennessee, the best city on earth, to record music. Yeah, it's really pretty exciting. So it began with 120 submissions, whittled down to four. And I have to say, it's been a huge privilege to just affirm these artists and the gifts that they've been given. And that's obviously so much of what Love Good is about. I think that's what drew you to Love Good initially, even oh, though yeah. it wasn't day one, because we were able to offer you a bunch of exciting opportunities <laughs> as an artist, right? Yeah, well, and I think too, it's interesting. My first encounter with Love Good happened before I knew what Love Good was. Like I was at, I was living in New York City and I'd go to these events, they were like once a month, um, up on the Upper East Side, and there would be these artists. And I was like, they, how do they find these artists? And I started looking them up, and they all were connected by love. It was the craziest thing. And then, and then I met. Well, I found out about you and got connected to you before I knew you were connected to love because I knew you was a speaker. And then all the puzzle pieces fell together. It was a bizarre introduction it's to really love. Cool. So tell me some of those artists that you met in New York City. The first one about. I saw was Nick Fabian. Yeah. Marie Miller was another one. I know we haven't sent out Cimarelli's music, but they're our dear friends. So. Cimarelli was another artist. And then Father Tonsi, whose album we sent out in the summer of 2017, he was one of the singers that was leading music during this like prayer night. And it was the coolest thing to, that I had just started my job with Love Good when Father Tonsi was brought on to our team of artists. And I was like, hold the phone, I know who this is. Like I totally met at his events. So that was really cool. Yeah, that is amazing. And one of the things that we've been talking about really consistently over the last few days here is what it really looks like to invest in artists, to patronize the arts. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I'd like to hear a little bit of your story, Jessica. So where does this journey with music, with art, with culture really began? I have this image of you on a stage. Apart from the time you were age three, is that true? I was pretty little. I mean, at church choir on the stage, the children's choir. <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's hear it. When did it all start? Yeah, I mean, I've been singing forever. Like, I can't remember a time I wasn't singing. And I sing and I talk a lot. And then once I learned how to do both, I never stopped. Wait, you talk a lot? <laughs> yes. You do make a yes. great communications director. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But yeah, I've just been singing forever. And so when I was little, I just I had this dream of being on Broadway. I was like, that is all I want. And if I can't make it there, like, I'm not worth anything. That was kind of this idea that I had. And so after studying classical music at Indiana University, I moved to New York City by myself. Three suitcases, four floor walk up. It looks a lot cooler in the movies than in real life. And I just started doing auditions. And I was absolutely miserable. And it, it, it's funny because people are like, well, you knew you faced rejection. I was like, no, it wasn't the rejection that was painful. It was the isolation that was painful. It was this like experience of, of wasting five hours of my morning to sing for 30 seconds. And I was like, I cannot live the rest of my life trying to prove that I'm worth something to these people that don't know me. And so I went through this kind of rejection and gift for several months in the city. And I mean, it was winter in New York, so it was a little bit depressing. But I, I mean, I just went through this huge rejection of gift, and I was like, I don't want anything to do with music, and I can't do this anymore. And then I got connected to you, and I was like, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a different route. Maybe I need to do not do music anymore. And ended up moving to Nashville, Music City, USA, not to do music, which people are like, you didn't move there for music. I'm like, oddly enough, no. But now I'm there doing music, and I never in a million years thought that I would be able to say, like, hi, I'm a national-based recording artist. And now 
Sean Perry. I'm working on my first album. It's a six-track EP, and and it's music that I love. And it just took me a really long time to rebuild a foundation of identity, to rebuild an understanding of gift, what it looks like to give it well, and to really find a community of artists who are all on this same mission of transforming culture. And I found that in Nashville. One of the things I really love about you, Jessamyn, is that actually for the last two years you've been on board helping us book Firesides, going on the road, pitching Love Gift to as many people as you can get your you know, hands on. And yet, your genre of music is completely unique. It's different from anything we've really been able to rally behind up until this point. And yet, at almost all of these Fireside events, you've been able to feature some of your own music, some of your own style. So tell us a little bit of what that is. And it's not the singer-songwriter vibe that most of the patrons and people who listen to our podcast are used to. Yeah, so uh, when people ask me, what, so what do you sing? I'm always like, you know Michael Buble? They're like, oh my gosh, I love Michael. I'm like, yeah, I know, everybody loves Michael Buble. I do the girl version of that. Like, I'm the female version. So I do a lot of um, like what are considered old jazz standards and things that are part of the Great American Songbook Collection, Golden Age Musical Theater. And that's what I love. That's what I love the most of. That's what I grew up with. I grew up with a lot of Frank Sinatra in the house, and I've listened to a lot of Ella Fitzgerald more recently. And just, I, that was the music I fell in love with. That's what captivated me. There was something so timeless about it that just drew this child. I was such a young child being brought in. Most kids my age were not listening to Broadway musicals and to this golden age music. And that's where I was. That's where I wanted to live. It's amazing. We're hearing this huge crowd around us right now. We are moments away from the doors opening. We're going to have more and need to breathe live in the city. So we have some competition in that right now. Yes, we do. We're going to win, though. Man. I don't know. I'm pretty happy to see what the rest of the is doing yeah. in just a moment, right? So your style would be very different. And actually, it's music that I grew up on because of who my mom is. She loves musicals. She loves anything on stage, right? Yes. So we grew up watching, like, oh, you know, Simple Mall Friends. Is that even a musical? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I feel like it is. Like, yeah. Seven Brides or Seven Brothers. Okay, oh, so good. What were your biggest influences as a kid? So I can clearly remember Les Mis. There was this 10th anniversary concert of Les Mis. Uh, we had a VHS tape of it. And my sister and I, I think, like, wrecked the tape. Like, we watched it so many times. And we would just sit, and something about it was so captivating that we just glued the TV. I remember that. I remember watching like Holiday Inn with Maybe Crosby with my family. Craig Crosby and Florida Sarah. Hello. So I remember that. And I loved all the Rogers and Hammerstein musicals. I mean, Sound of Music and Carousel and South Pacific, like those just, I just loved them. There was something that sparked me about them. There was just this like, sparkly musical theater magic that I absolutely loved and that became that kind of music became my favorite way to tell stories and to experience human humanity essentially to experience like the human story through that. It's really cool. Did you ever feel a little bit like a mob or at the very least like the music taste <laughs> that you had? Maybe like were you an old soul? Like did most people get this? Yeah, you? I mean believe me, I had a high school musical pick when I came out and it never really ended. But yeah, I mean, it was sometimes a little hard. I, I was, I was, I mean, looking back, I wouldn't have known how to put vocabulary behind this, but like, I was unsatisfied by mainstream media. I didn't, I didn't love it as much as my peers appeared to. It didn't do anything for me. It was fun to dance to at homecoming dances, but like, beyond that, I was like, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to turn this on in my room. I don't, it didn't do anything for me. It didn't captivate me. 
and this other style of music did. And I mean, luckily, I had a lot of really great music educators that supported me in what I was doing, and they kept introducing me to more of that music. And so I had support and encouragement. I never felt like I was being turned away from that, or like someone was telling me, you know, you really should do that, it's not cool. But I would never consider myself like one of the cool kids, you know, because I wasn't listening to what everybody else was listening to. It's interesting because I think sometimes when you really chase after your dreams and you realize that, hey, I've got some unique and other people gifts over here, uh, that's exciting and yet terrifying. It's so scary. I saw a beautiful young woman walked up to me today. I gave a talk for the beauty initiative within Focus. And she said, Jimmy, like, I love what you're saying about beauty unifying the soul, about beauty, you know, actually transforming me, wanting me to like change the world, all things that beauty really does. It pulls us out of ourselves. But it also begins to shine a light on what makes us absolutely unique, all of us, right? And that's a terrifying thing because it feels lonely sometimes. Oh yeah, because you feel like all of a sudden I can't explain myself to anybody. Our world, everybody thinks everybody, everything has to be understood. Right. Like if I don't understand every detail about this, then it's not valuable. And beauty is one of those things that like you actually can't understand everything right. about it. And like if you discover something within yourself that you can't put into words, then all of a sudden it doesn't feel valuable because you can't explain it to everybody. And that's just not true. It's not true. I must say it's one of the reasons I love hanging around artists, talking to artists like this, because you all have a way of putting things into words that actually just feel deeply real, deeply human, deeply intuitive to me. But as you've learned over the last few years, I don't always have words for it, right? No. It takes a certain like process, which only an artist can engage with, to turn those universal realities into deeply felt truths, and especially through music that happens very, very powerfully. So tell us a little bit about your transition from New York to Nashville. I know that isolation was a big oh, yeah. part of your story in New York, but community it's a big part of your story in Nashville, so tell us about that. Yeah, so they talk about New York, and like, I don't hate New York City. <laughs> I don't want to like put that up. I don't hate New York. I just don't want to live there again. And when I was there, I was experiencing essentially like the antithesis of culture, because culture happens when we share life together well, which I know, we, you know, you talked about that in the podcast before. Culture is when we share life together well, and I didn't really have an opportunity to do that very frequently in New York because I was alone so often. And in Nashville, I'm very rarely without some kind of community, whether that's a community of artists that I collaborate with. Like doing this album, I, I remember like my first day in the studio just being like, oh man, I miss this. I miss being around other singers and other musicians. Like it was so uh, refreshing and like rejuvenating to me. Um, and even just like within my, my own friend community, I, Nashville is a city that cultivates community really well because it's a very family-driven environment. And with family is like, okay, I need to raise my hand. <laughs> with family as like the bedrock of our culture, when we have an entire city that's driven by that, community is going to be prosperous there. And that's what I have found in Nashville. It's just friends that, that do understand me on a, on, a, on a deeper level. And I had a couple of like, really, really dear friends in New York, but there's just, they come in, in more of a sense of community as opposed to like individualized friendships like I had in New York. Totally, totally. Okay, so now what we want to hear is some crazy, unrelated story from either your childhood, your college years, something that would help us understand Jessamine, the person. Because let's face it, most people, 
very few of us will ever be able to be in deep friendship with you, right? There's only so many little kind of It's weird, and it's cool, right? Yeah. And this is part of the journey of the artist. Is there's going to be moments in your life where you stand on the stage, maybe one day in front of thousands, or I'd be like, cool with that. Yeah, like you could bring tens of thousands yeah. of people, you know? A few nights ago, we were at Judith and Lime downtown Nashville, right? 200,000 people, okay? Wow. That they found a way to connect with pretty intimately, uh -huh. even though we're never going to meet. You know, yeah. We're never going to even shake hands, right? So give us a little bit of some like, dirt behind the scenes. Doesn't have to be dirt, just something <laughs> real about life and just yeah, the human experience of Jessica Anderson. Do you think really jump out like any crazy, embarrassing moment you never want to relive? Like, oh you gosh! About? I more than anything, just like weird things about me are coming to mind. Like I really love Parmesan cheese. I put it on like and, like that's the only reason I really eat vegetables is so I can eat. It's true. You're I know, you know. <laughs> I know, it's kind of a problem. I don't know, I guess. Oh. Here's something. Okay, oh, I have a funny story from college. Let's hear it. Okay, so I went to Indiana University, and there was this bus called the Night Bus, which, not like Harry Potter style, but it was called the, or the Night Owl. It's called the Night Owl. And it was a late night bus system that would go down by the, the bars so that people wouldn't drive drunk. And I was not intoxicated in any capacity because I was under 21. But I remember getting on this bus with a couple friends and we were taking the bus to a friend's house for a party. And my friend was actually driving the bus. He was a bus driver. And people would not cream into the bus and he couldn't drive until people had crossed over the lines. And he looked at me and he was like, I need you to do something, like entertain them, get them. And I was like, no, that's so awkward. I'm not doing that. He was like, please sing something like a Beyonce song, anything. He hands me the bus night. Wow. And I sing the entirety of Love on Top by Beyonce, like all five key changes, and had the whole bus singing along by the end. Eventually, everybody crammed in, and we sang Love on Top on the way to the destination. This is great. You see, I think if, if any of you guys ever hear Jessamyn live, you'll think she's an angel. Now you know she's actually just a human. <laughs> she even sings Beyonce on a bus. On I demand. do. On demand. I always said I should be like, if someone could pay me to be a jukebox, I would just follow them around and they would just like pay me and tell me a song to sing and I would happily sing it. I have a song for everything. I like insert. Life is useful. It's better that way. And I always have a song, so I'll just like... Someone will say something, and I think in music more than I think in anything else. So I'll think of a song title or something. That's what comes to mind, and I sing it. I mean, I'm, I'm a socially appropriate human. I filter myself, but like usually what's in my head is a song. Speaking of social appropriateness, there's oh, a lot of people around this Square Cube <laughs> podcast right now. You guys are amazing. Thanks for listening. Okay, how many of you, by a round of applause and a lot of thumbs up, would like to hear Jessamine sing the first song that comes to mind, right? Okay. <laughs> Clearly, there's some energy out there. If oh, now something's gonna happen! No, something's gotta happen. Oh, gosh! You sang beautifully a few nights ago. In fact, I think oh. you sang anything from the greatest show that we all pretty much flip out with sure. Right? Can you sing the chorus or something? Just on the spot? Or is this too much like quarter of the Oh, uh, that was a little bit quarter of the gravy box, but this is the greatest show! We light it up, we won't come down. Cause the world can't stop us now. Cause it will come through. Everybody just in the Wow. See? On demand. Do you work at conference? My voice is like, shot. That's okay. You're amazing. Thank you. It is going to be so fun to listen to this EP when it comes out. I can't wait to step 
somewhere backstage in the Skin Lawn Symphony Hall in Nashville, just to see you live. Alright, I'm gonna be like, in a not weird way, I'm gonna be like Hugh Jackman side stage, we never left this song in the middle of the greatest show, and we're totally awestruck, right? Jenny Lynn's dress. If I can just have Jenny Lynn's dresses from The Greatest Showman, yep. I would be a happy performer forever. But not for hand motions. No, not for opera style. No, it's not, opera. not actually operatic. That's yeah. my one dig with The Greatest Showman, but that's like a whole other podcast episode. I agree. I agree. It's a very smooth program. Okay. All right. I'll let you have that one. Whatever that is. By the way, if you ever get a chance to have Jess Smith's Bring My Home, not usually something by a woman, she can do it. Edit it in the book. Thank you. So, Jess Smith, let's just kind of turn the corner of this conversation and talk a little bit about patronage. You're an artist. Who's just had an incredibly successful crowdfunding campaign. We've been working for Lovka now for almost two years, at least a year and a half, and we're constantly inviting people to patronage. What does that really look like? Where does that come from in the history of culture and why is it so important? Let me pull up my uh, music history 401 class from college for you. No, uh, patronage is an ancient philosophy. I mean, it's an, I don't even want to call it a philosophy, it's a practice, it's an ancient practice of investing in the arts. And so, I mean, we think of like the most famous artists you can think of. I think of people like Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Mozart, Beethoven, people like that who have these insane talents. I mean, just they're geniuses. They're geniuses. They had patrons. They that were royal families or um, very wealthy people that said, you know what? I have a heck of a lot of money, and I'm going to invest that in you because I believe in you. I'm not just in their talent, but in, in the person that they are. I believe in you, I believe in the gift you have to give the world, and I want to be a part of bringing that to other people. That's what patronage is. And as, as music became more commercial and more available to different social classes, the structure of, of the industry changed. That's kind of weird to think of like, you know, Beethoven being part of the music industry, but like, he was. But that has changed over time, and now we live in a culture where most of us aren't even willing to pay for music. And I mean, I sit here, I'm a Spotify user, you know, that's how I access things most frequently. It's the easiest way to get my hands on the music that I want, right? But as an artist, like, I look at my fellow artists and I want to support them. And I, and, and I, I want them to support me. But I also look at people who, who, who are not artists at all who are not creative but they understand the impact that good media has on culture and they said you know what i want to invest in that and it doesn't look like royal families anymore it doesn't look like these incredibly wealthy people it's people like you and me who have very normal lifestyles who have said i'm going to put money as you know i'm going to spend you know 799 a month on netflix but i'm going to put more money per month into these artists, and that's what Lovkin patrons have done, is they said, I'm gonna spend money every month to invest in these, to invest in these artists because I believe in them, I believe in what they're doing, I believe that their music is transforming our culture, and I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful. I mean that's what changes things, right? So if we can continue to grow a community of people who are willing to invest in artists, not just any artist, but like the artists that are really true, good, and beautiful, like the world will change. That will change everything. It's amazing. And I will never forget the look on Janae Trudell's face when she found out how much we were able to spend per album we bought hers in gold. Yes. I'll never forget the look on Scott Wolfville's face. He was currently on tour with Warren 
Hegel. Yeah, it was also with John McLaughlin and Matt Wirtz. Like, exactly. no small thing here. Exactly. And I think that's a reality that artists don't take for granted, that people are still willing to invest in them because they believe in them and the power of their gift. Yes. What they can really do to transform culture. So, okay, we've actually had a really exciting series of giveaways. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what that final kind of culminating giveaway was. We've got yeah. one person out there, mm-hmm. among many who became patrons, who's getting what? A free trip to Nashville, Tennessee! Yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> so we've had lots of people sign up, right? Lots of people became patrons here at the seat conference. A lot of people are now engaging with us on social media, are going to be mm-hmm. part of this ongoing dialogue, and we really want them to know our patrons specifically that they are the heroes, the front lines of this movement. And yes, Everybody can raise their standard for me. Everybody can build a better culture. But what does that look like, even in small ways? You know, for us to to raise our standard by helping our, really training our hearts to love the better things. I think that's a really exciting opportunity for all of us. At the end of this show, we're actually going to announce an even more exciting giveaway, if you can imagine. And that's going to be only for podcast listeners and people who are on an email list. If you become a patron, there's going to be a really exciting opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. You're going to be put to a drawing for something kind of amazing. Yeah. Right? And may or may not involve Nashville, it's all I'm saying. But I think that's like a, a really exciting opportunity for all of us to really get out there and invest and really allow our hearts to encounter the beautiful. Because it's everywhere if we have the eyes to see it, and it's artists who have a particular gift to bring it to the forefront of our lives. You know? Yes, and they do it in such a unique way. They have a unique capacity for beauty because there's a document by John Paul II called Letter Artists. He talks about this like vocation of beauty, right? And like we've been given this job, like this calling, the calling of beauty to put it into the world. And that really convicted me when I was in New York. I was like. I'm rejecting this gift I've been given, but like I don't have a choice. Like I have to use this. Like this is this is the way I am called to change the world. And if I reject that, what am I doing? You know? And we, we need to create a space for other people to answer that call, to answer the call to beauty, to say yes, I'm going to give it this gift so that other people can encounter what they're made for, to encounter something more, which is. That's right. So all the listeners out there, hang tight for the outro. We're going to announce that very exciting giveaway. It'll just make it easier than ever for you to become a patron and to really subscribe to this movement that we really believe as you on the front lines of changing the world. It's really exciting. Justin, before we close, yes. tell us your social media handle, your website, how we can stay in touch, <laughs> how we can follow the trajectory of your career. Yeah, so everything's easy because my first name is unique. So it's at Justin Anderson on Instagram. That's where most of my stuff is. That's J-E-S-S-A-M-Y-N. And so it's at Justin Anderson and JustinAnderson.com. So much more than a female monthly play. So much more than just a communications director for a great creative company in Nashville. One of the finest vocalists, the heart of an angel, but really so human and so fully alive. You're one of the most joyful people I know. Thank you. Everybody out there, C2019, make some noise for Jessica and Anderson. Really good to be here live at C2019. That's a wrap for this episode. We'll uh, see you next time. Bye,
So you can probably imagine how incredible of an experience that was with Jessman and the entire Love Good team, all the apprentices. What a joy to all of you who are at Seek. Rock on. We cannot wait to see you guys again. And actually, you know, here we are only a few episodes in to 2019. And we wanted to go ahead and just say a massive thank you to all of our listeners. Okay, you're going to be some of the only people who find out about this very special deal that I'm about to announce. So if you become a Love Good patron in the next 72 hours, not only will you get the usual welcome package which comes with this exclusive graphic tee that you actually can't get anywhere else and then like a really cool bundle of our best of kind of CDs and books you're also going to be put into a drawing for a free trip to Nashville okay this is to anybody who's in the continental United States this is an offer that we will probably not do again for a long long time it's an offer that we actually made available at Seek so we've already got somebody out there who has won a free trip to Nashville we want to offer one more free trip to Nashville. And all you got to do is go to lovegoodculture.com slash seek. Subscribe as a patron. You'll be put into a drawing. We're talking like a one in 50 chance probably that you could win a free trip to Nashville. And uh, we just want to make that available to you guys for 72 hours. Very few people are going to know about that. So get on it. And by the way, if you're already a patron, all you have to do is upgrade to the next subscription level or refer a friend and you'll be put in the drawing as well. Again, only for 72 hours. Know that we love you and uh, we can't wait to see you next week. I'll be back with Alana Boudreaux talking about technology and embodiment. So uh, come ready to be intellectually challenged as I certainly was during this conversation. Uh, y'all are amazing and we'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.